who got the book Resilient that we've been selling the last few weeks up the back? If you got that, wave it around. Uh, thank you, Vicky. I see that book. I see that book. Anoint it in Jesus' name. Um, so we, we are starting. We're going to start last week, but things could be crazy. So um, we're going to start this series this week, unpacking this book Resilient. And um, just for the, in the spirit of full disclosure, even though this is week one, we are going to jump next week to week three because I've planned out the whole series uh, with um, different people preaching. So David Hooper's going to be here next week preaching on chapter three. So if you want to do a double read this week of chapter one and two, you go ahead and do that. Um, but I'll probably still record a message on chapter two and upload it to our podcast so that we don't miss out on the sequentialness of this series. But I just want to get that out of the way this morning. Um, this book is really, really cool. I read this book at the start of this year. And um, Anna was going through some stuff at that stage inside of her heart and mind, nothing major, just some stuff that, you know, we all go through. And I was like, baby, you've got to read this book. Just read this book three or four times over and over. Get the essence of it into your spirit. And, and so we've, we started to sell it leading to this series three weeks ago. A few people have bought it. There's a few nerds in our church, let's be honest, um, a few reading geeks that have sort of sped read the whole book. This book's amazing. Well, I'm just going to say to you nerds, to slow down and stay with us for the series. You can read ahead, that's great. But each week, just let's, let's go chapter by chapter. Let's really just uh, lean into what uh, this book is saying and teaching for us. So I love the introduction. The in- introduction to this book, he talks about the analogy of, of a camel. A camel is a fascinating, fascinating animal that has an incredible um, ability to endure hard times. And a camel has immense endurance and stamina. It can last weeks and weeks and weeks out in arid desert conditions, uh, just carrying like hundreds of kilos of load through all sorts of sandstorms and like, you know, 40 plus degree temperature days. The camel can just go and go and go. Physically speaking, humans won't last two or three days in those conditions. They will just shrivel and die. But there's something about the camel that can just go and endure. However... Camels without warning just give way. They just collapse. They, there's no sort of like the, 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 no lethargy that kicks in as they get depleted and they just sort of slow to a halt. They just all of a sudden are 100%, then they're zero like that. They just collapse without warning in complete and utter exhaustion. And the analogy is made in this book that the true, that, that is true of our, of our souls, the human soul. We have an astonishing capacity to, to rally in the face of calamity and duress and stress and anxiety. We rally, we rally, we, we, just, we just grit our teeth and get through it. And then one day, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, for no reason, we find that there's nothing left. Our soul simply says, I'm done. I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. We collapse into a pit of discouragement, depression, or just a, a blankness of soul. And this is sort of the season that St. John of the Cross will call the dark night of the soul. We don't want to push ourselves to that point. We want to protect ourselves and preserve ourselves from getting to that point of utter exhaustion where we just collapse. The interesting thing is we would never tell a survivor of abuse or trauma that, sorry, we would never tell the survivor of abuse that the trauma of that event is over because the abuse has stopped. We would never say that. Someone that's gone through uh, verbal, sexual, violent abuse, we would never say to them, oh, look, the trauma's gone now because that's stopped. They're not, they're not hurting you anymore. Like, that, that's absolutely ridiculous. We'd never do that. But that mentality is at play 
in our collective denial and tra- uh, of the trauma that we have been through over the past three years, that the pandemic really has caused more trauma deep in the soul of humanity than we would care to admit or acknowledge. And I hear people saying, COVID's gone, just get over it, move on. I, I agree, but I don't agree. I agree that we should sort of not use it as an excuse to, 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 to disengage and disfranchise and be fearful, absolutely. But at the same time, too, I'm not ready to move on because I see that there's still lasting damage that has happened as a result of us going through this pandemic that is going to take a while for us to fully trudge through. And you might be thinking, well, what, what trauma? Um, what are you talking about? Like, we, we live in coughs. COVID didn't really have that big of an impact on us. Sure, there were some lockdowns and weird QR codes at shops you had to go check in and out of and, and things like that, but we really didn't have that much going on in comparison to, say, India or New York City or, or, or Italy that got absolutely annihilated. We did all right. So what, what trauma are you talking about? Let's break it down. This is what actually happened. Our normal lives were stripped from us overnight. Going about our regular lives, happy, happy as Larry, it's all good, and bang, stripped from us, gone. We immediately began to live under the fear of suffering and death. We were bombarded with negative news, day and night, negative news. Our politicians, our, our state and federal leaders, every single day would hold press conferences to tell us how bad things were. So we are constantly being ingrained by our leaders that things are bad, negative things every single day. We are kept in a state of constant uncertainty about the future with no clear view of where the finish line is. We were forced to live in isolation from our communities. We lost every form of human countenance behind a mask. And without being overly dramatic, this is the exact type of torment that terrorist regimes use to break down their prisoners psychologically and physically. What do they do? They, they strip their normal lives from them. They, they make them feel like they're living under fear of suffering and death. They keep them in a constant state of uncertainty about the future with no clear view of a finish line. They're forced to live in isolation from their communities and they lose every form of human contact and countenance behind a mask. So we've been through a lot when you look at it from that angle. So we need a plan for our recovery. Jesus offers us hope and a strategy for resilience that will help us through hard times. As we study through this book, we are going to be given the resources and the ability to, to tap into this, uh, this strategy and this power that will help make us resilient. More resilient people, more resilient in our soul, more resilient in our mind, more resilient in our spirit. That's just the introduction. So the analogy of the camels... They can last a long time, but then all of a sudden, bang, they just drop our souls in the same way. We can carry a lot of stuff. We can go through some stuff, but all of a sudden, things just collapse on us. So it goes into chapter one, and the chapter one, I love this, it's called, I Just Want Life to Be Good Again. This book was written two years ago, so it's, oh, sorry, last year, so it's super fresh, and it sort of captures the heart of how we are sort of feeling, I believe, collectively as humanity. We just want life to be good again. The last few years have been rubbish. We just want it to be good. He says that the epicenter of our being is a deep longing to aspire for things that bring us life, to plan for those things, take a hold of those things, enjoy those things, and then start the cycle over as we aspire to have new things. This essential craving for life is given to us by God, and he calls this the primal drive for life and if we're honest 
our primal drive for life, this desire for more and, and doing and, and having, and has been absolutely smashed and taken a beating over the last few years. And this is not due primarily to the pandemic. This started well before 2020, because prior to 2020, we were all running on the hamster wheel of life, running way too fast, doing way too much stuff, being way too preoccupied with everything externally out there that our, our souls were in a constant state of damage, torment, and exhaustion. We were addicted to technology, overwhelmed by global news, wrung out from social tensions. We were exhausted body and soul from the madness of modern life. And then the pandemic hit at that moment. The pandemic didn't hit after we'd had this sabbatical year of just nice, calm life. And, oh, then the pandemic, oh, I'm ready for this because life is just in a really nice balance. No, no, no. If we're honest, most of our lives were way out of whack, way out of balance, but way before 2020 hit. And it caught us by surprise and it sent us in a tailspin. And we're now sort of just trying to you know, come back from that daze and go, okay, what, what, what is life all about? What, what am I doing? What do I prioritise? What, what is going on here? And that's why in, in February 2020, Anna and I sort of felt like, man, life's out of whack for us and most people we talk to. So we did the How to Unhurry series. And that, I feel like that was a prophetic move of God to sort of at least give us a little bit of an awareness of, of how to prepare ourselves spiritually to slow down. Um, as I said before, one of the most remarkable things about human beings is how resilient we are. I've read plenty of stories over the years about um, human suffering and things like that, and we are incredibly resilient. Yet, one of the most surprising things about human beings is that all of our resilience can evaporate in a moment. That we can, be, we can have this high capacity and high threshold, and all of a sudden we just don't. And without rhyme, without reason, without any warning, we just collapse. One day the resources we have to sustain our primal drive for life simply run out. And unfortunately, I've had a, a front row seat to watch this play out in people's lives more times than I care to admit or talk about. Here's a couple of examples that the book gives that, that you could probably identify with or have seen or you've probably got other examples that you could think about. The mother who week in, week out, year in, year out, faithfully works so hard to care for, to serve, and to sacrifice for her family, then one day becomes numb in her spirit and in her mind and then seeks for love and affection in the arms of another man. All of a sudden, bang, years of faithfulness, years of sacrifice, and then something shifts. Or a leader in a church who for years has wonderfully sacrificed and given service to God and people, then suddenly they begin to ask the question, is this all even worth it? What's this all even about? They begin to doubt God, doubt their own faith. They leave God, leave the church, and abandon their faith altogether. And these are books that, these are examples that the book gives. And I have literally seen these examples in real life and many, many more. So how does this happen? Because these people didn't set out to, to go down these paths. These are good people that have done good things for a long time. And how do they get to a point where their whole life is in ruins because they've, they've shifted from what they valued most to then take up a life that has just corroded everything they've ever worked for? It's all got to do with our reserves. Our reserves. What, what lays at the very bedrock of our essence as a human? We tap into our reserves to endure years of suffering and deprivation. Then one day, out of nowhere, our heart says, I'm out, I'm done, I don't care anymore. And we abandon the fight 
in an, de- in an endeavour to find relief. We have exhausted the reserves in our soul and in our spirit that have kept us buoyant on the exterior of our life for so long and as that well runs dry, we find relief in other things. And this is what seems to be happening in this cultural moment on a global scale, that humanity is running away trying to find relief for the days that they are in, not D-A-Y-S, D-A-Z-E, the days mentally and emotionally that they are in because of hitting a pandemic at full speed and it is sending us crazy. And now we're sort of picking up the pieces. Like camels, human beings are at the same time both resilient and unpredictably fragile. This is why we need to work on our reserves and keep them replenished and full. The battle is racing for our hearts, so the battle is racing in our hearts for life to be good again. How we fight this battle, however, will determine our fate in this life and the life that is to come. It is that important. How we fight the battle in our heart for life to be good again has a massive impact on our life now and the life that is to come. So, it's, it is that important. And this is, this is how it sort of plays out in people's lives, this desire for, for life to be good again. We, we only, and I'll just talk openly about Christians and what I observe, and, and probably if I'm true, there's probably a little bit of this in my life that, that I need to work on too, but it's like we get to this point where we sort of, we just sort of want God. We kind of want God. What we really want is life to be good again, um, and if God helps us get that, or that we're cool with God, I'll come to church, I'll pray, I'll do all those sorts of cool things. But if we're not getting what we want and God's not um, helping us get that, then we'll get back to him later after we've finished chasing whatever it is that we think will satisfy the cravings of our soul. And God has become periphery, not primary. And that's sadly the state of a lot of Christians at the moment, that we're cool with God as long as ka He's the vending machine that gives us our needs. But if he's not meeting our needs according to our standards, we'll find someone else who will. Sad, but true. Most of us think that we know what we need. Um, when I think about my life and, and life being good again and, and how to reset that, this is, what, this is what I imagine I need, and maybe you're the same as me. I need three months or more on the Amalfi Coast Sitting on the beach with margarita in hand as the sun falls and I'm getting served the most immaculate Italian food on the planet. Followed by a delightful glass of red wine and then just pause, repeat, day after day for three months. That would be cool for me. I would, that would be amazing. That would be my idea of soul-filling, replenishing, getting my reserves back up and running again by, by doing that. But the problem with that is that, that, that fantasy... Is, is out of the, it's out of the reach of us and it's out of the reach of most people. And you might think, okay, you, you might be the Maldives or Maldives, however you say it. You might be a safari in Africa. You might be, oh, I want to go and do a, a trek through uh, the Himalayas or I want to go to Hawaii. Whatever your dream location is for paradise where you could go to replenish your soul, for most of us, that ultimate place is out of our reach just now. But here's the thing the creator of those places is well within reach. The, the, the man who designed those places that you think you need actually has what you need 
and he's available and accessible 24-7. All the beauty and resilience we long for, all of that life actually comes from God. The stuff our soul craves comes from him. We are created in his image. And so all the stuff we are depleted of comes from him as he replenishes us. And he wants to impart to us a greater measure of himself. So we must lovingly disciple and shepherd our famished thirst back to the source of life. There is so much life that flows through God. God is life. Um, that's what he is. Um, yes, he is a father. Yes, he is love. Yes, he is creator. Yes, he is powerful. All these things. But, but ultimately, God is life, the purest form of life that any of us could ever experience or need. And, and from him flows life. The, in fact, the Bible describes God as the river of life. That's one way to describe it. He is a river of life, a constant, ever-flowing source of pure life. And Jesus gives us this invitation in John chapter 7. He says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Our reserves, right, the things that we draw upon in times of crisis, the things that we draw upon in times of high stress and anxiety, our reserves only get replenished and refreshed by the river, by the the beautiful presence of God as we surrender our life to him and let the river of life flow in us and through us to refresh and replenish our reserves so we can continue to do what he's called us to do. Coming to God, allowing his truth and his presence to flow through our hearts and through our minds is the first step for you and I to take in becoming more resilient. As we recover from the past three years, as we catch our breath, as we get reorientated, as we build up our reserves in order to be more resilient, the first step is allowing the river of life that is God himself to flow back through our hearts, through our minds, that the truth of God permeate our entire being, that we don't look to external things, but we look to an internal relationship with God to sustain us, replenish us, and refuel us. As I want to finish with a couple of questions. I've asked the, the guys who are sharing this series over the coming weeks to, to, to summarize each chapter with a question that we can consider during the week. It's all good and well to hear a message on Sunday, and that's great, but, but I, I want to tattoo something in your mind that you can just consider and think about and chew on this week. The first question is this, and they're very connected questions. Where am I looking for created things to replenish my soul? Am I looking for this in in sex? Am I looking for this in in substance? Am I looking for this in um, relationships? Am I looking for this in um, whatever? Like, where am I looking to created things to replenish my soul? And the follow-up question is, how can I look past these things to the creator God to replenish my soul? And this is the problem with Romans chapter 1 when it all just turned to porridge. You can read this in your Bible. It's like they gave up Worshipping created God and started worshipping created things. That's called idolatry. When we put the, the same emphasis that we should have on God onto things, they become an idol. And so this week, I want us to consider those things. What are those things that are created, that are tangible, 
And they might not necessarily be bad things. Like I'm not, not saying, oh, look for the Ouija boards in your cupboard. Or if you've got those, probably get rid of those. Probably a good idea. Um, but what are the things that you are looking for in the hope of replenishing your soul? In the hope of refreshing the reserves inside of you that have been depleted through three years of trauma? And how can you identify those things and then move past them to actually receive that life and that replenishment you're looking for from God himself, the creator. Not the created thing, but the creator of all things. That's the question for this week. And when we start to do that, that is the first step in becoming more resilient and building up our inner man, building up our spirit, building up our our emotional uh, strength and stamina so that one day we just don't quit on the spot and go crazy because our reserves are um, depleted and we didn't even know it. As we close this morning, we're going to finish and have some scones because I can sense there's a very strong urge for some scones to be consumed this morning. Plain scones, date scones, there's butter, there's jam, there's There's the whole smorgasbord of scones. We really have gone all out this Mother's Day. But before we go and scone it up, I just want to just give a basic invitation for for people that might not have faith here this morning, that might not say, yeah, I'm not a Christian. Um, there was a time where I wasn't a Christian too, and I get that. And, but God has made a dramatic impact in my life where he's given me meaning, purpose, life, love that we talked about earlier. And he really is the river of life that, that I draw upon as my source of refreshing and refilling in a life that is trying to completely wear me down. I feel like we, we go into the real world, it's like a camel in the arid desert. There is just news and stuff and pressures and expectations and temptations that really try to wear us down. But the Creator knows us. God knows us. He loves us. And Jesus gives us an invitation that I want to give you, that anyone who might be thirsty spiritually would come to Him and He would replenish Him. He would give Him rivers of living water that would flow through Him. And that's the beauty of God. We might come wanting one thing, but God's power gives us a hundred things. And this, this, this invitation is like, come who are thirsty. And you think, oh, the answer is a drink. No, no, the answer from God is a river. You might think you need a cup of water. I'm going to give you a river of living water that will sustain you in this life and the life that is to come. So with every eye closed, we're just going to finish right here with this one prayer. I would love to pray with you this morning. I'd love to pray for you. That you would, no matter who you are, no matter your history, you would come to a point of receiving sonship, daughtership, if that's even a word, to God, that he would become your father. He would become your source. So God, I pray for every single person here this morning. Those that might be weary, tired, depleted, exhausted, thirsty. And Lord, we all seek for refuge and comfort and refreshment in so many other things. But Lord, I pray that we would today come back to you. That we would accept your invitation as thirsty people to to bring ourselves before you, God, and that you would allow rivers of living water to flow through us. Lord, I pray for any of us that have never made that decision before to follow you, 
to trust you. Lord, would you help us today to step over that line of faith and just make that commitment to say, God, I want to trust you. I'm sorry for making all these decisions up until this point in my own way, in my own understanding. Today, I want to, I want to acknowledge you. I want to apologize for that. And I want to receive this river of living water, this brand new life, this soul-giving life that can only come from the creator and sustainer of all things, which is you. And today I receive that by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I don't know everyone here, a lot of guests here this morning, but if anything we talked about here this morning or that prayer at the end was like, yeah, you made that prayer for the first time. You're like, yeah, I need to make that call. I need to step over that line of faith. I would love to meet with you. I'd love to have a coffee and a scone or two scones with you, maybe a date and a jam and cream. I don't even know. Let's be crazy. But I'd love to talk about that decision to to follow Jesus and have that river of life flow through you this morning. That's chapter one. That's step one. We're going to have an incredible time in the coming weeks going through this book. If you haven't got the book, hey, please grab one. We've discounted the price to $25. Normally they're $8,000 a book. Uh, but we've heavily discounted it for you this morning. It's just a $25. And uh, that would be epic. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you guys. Thanks so much.